Welcome to Let It Lopate at Large. I'm Let It Lopate. Cats are free-spirited, strong-willed creatures who think for themselves, don't often seem eager to please, and can be difficult to train. It's been suggested that many New Yorkers share those traits, so I guess it should come as no surprise that many of us have cats. Contrary to popular belief, cats and most New Yorkers can be persuaded if they're approached with respect and intelligence. Our show last September with veterinarian behaviorist doctors Megan Heron, Deborah Horowitz, and Carlos Syracuse was so popular that we have asked them back. Their book, Decoding Your Cat, The Ultimate Experts Explain Common Cat Behaviors and Reveal How to Prevent or Change Unwanted Ones, is published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And I'm very pleased to welcome them back to our show. We also invite our listeners to join the discussion uh, by calling us at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, Hello. Megan, you've called your book Decoding Your Cat rather than something more like Training Your Cat. Do you think the basis of most problem behavior in cats results from their owners not understanding why cats behave the way they do? I think that's an excellent question and and point. And you're absolutely right. This isn't just a cat training book. It's a a cat understanding what motivates Mm -hmm. them, why they behave the way they do, and what behaviors that we may think are nuisances are actually quite normal for them and, and how we can sort of accommodate that rather than trying to shove a square peg in a round hole of our life. <laughs> well, Deborah, there's a joke that a dog says about its owner. He feeds me. He shelters me. He takes care of me. He must be a god. And the cat says about its owner. He feeds me. He shelters me. He takes care of me. I must be a god. <laughs> Well, I think that some of that has to do with the basic ethology of dogs versus cats. So dogs do have evolved from animals that live in groups and devote a large part of their brain to social understanding and networking so that they're actually more predisposed to look to other individuals for information. Cats, however, except for lions that live in groups, are solitary. And so they're used to taking care of themselves. We do know our, our domestic cats can live in groups, but those groups are based on relatives, sisters, aunts, daughters, and they're also capable of living by themselves. And I think that I, cats are very happy to have someone take care of them, but when dogs aren't taken care of, they can certainly be quite um, demanding as well. So I don't think it's quite fair to the cats. But it, has, it goes back to how they survive before we intervene to make their lives so posh and well, wonderful. Uh, I've heard that, uh, that we took the dogs in and the cats came to us because we had the food, but uh, the, the dogs then became easier to train than the cats. Carlos, is part of the difficulty in training that cat owners assume that cats will react like dogs to various stimuli? Yes, I, I think this is part of the problem. I think expectations are uh, a fundamental part of the problem. Uh, as, as, as Debbie was saying, cats are solitary individuals. Uh, they are used to uh, live by themselves. And also, uh, not only they are used to live by themselves, but they are not programmed with a uh, social behavior that is as conspicuous and evolved as dogs. So uh, cats are most subtle way to communicate uh, because again, they really didn't need too many signals, right? They were far uh, one from each other. Um, now they live in close contact with humans. Uh, many times they live in close contact with uh, other uh, cats or dogs. Uh, so it's a little bit more challenging to them. So uh, people ex- expect to have sort of a small dog that is kept in an apartment so it doesn't need to go outside, they can use its litter box, but it's actually different. The needs and uh, the social needs and, and physical needs of a cat are different from a dog. So um, this is actually a part of the reason why our book is called Decoding Your Cat, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's about understanding what are the strengths and limitations of being a cat. 
and um, uh, not being that responsive as uh, uh, dogs to social interaction is part of it. But this does not mean that cats cannot be trained. Cats actually can be trained to do uh, very cool stuff, uh, but it's probably and we'll get to that. easy and interactive as for dogs. And uh, a reminder that we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. I suspect there are a lot of cat owners out there. Uh, a problem when I have three yeses, uh, unless I address each question to one of you, not necessarily knowing which one of you would be best to ask that, I'm just gonna throw out the questions and hope that we can make it all work out. <laughs> Animal behaviorists often say that cats and dogs' facial expressions are meaningless, but as any pet owner knows, Animals often seem to smile when they're happy. Do, do cats express themselves through smiling or, or other facial expressions? Oh, they have very facially expressive ears, I guess. Their ears mm -hmm. tell us a lot about them, and so do their eyes. Their eyes look different when they're scared than when they're happy, and same with their ears and their tail. Um, they don't have, generally speaking, the same loose lips that dogs do, so that smiling that dogs make is not necessarily facially possible for them but you can tell when they're content and happy they they kind of narrow their eyes a little bit they look a little sleepy their pupils are small their ears are forward but relaxed you can certainly tell a happy cat and of course they purr which is something mm -hmm. that dogs don't do and although oh, no. cats can purr when they're not happy a happy cat can purr really loud on the other hand a cat twitches its tail when it's annoyed and a dog uh uh, wags its tail when it's happy. So I've always wondered when I've had cats and dogs together, just how much communication there is at times. <laughs> I think that's a great point. As, as Debbie pointed out, cats communicate so much with their ears and tail, which is true. People say that a lot about horses as well, yeah. uh, incidentally, even though they're and quite- And cats sometimes push their heads into your hand so that yeah. you'll push back their ears. So their ears must be a, a source of pleasure. They are, and I actually think their tails can be quite expressive. They don't wag, you're right, uh, like a dog. So when a dog is when a dog is happy, their tail is wagging. Actually, their whole body is wagging when they're happy. Dogs can also wag their tails when they're agitated um, or feeling threatened. So you got to look at the whole body with dogs. But that's a whole other uh, interview. <laughs> and book. With cats. And book. And book, right. <laughs> Redecoding your dog to figure that one out. But um, <laughs> for cats, their tails are quite expressed. And so as you mentioned, they can sort of twitch or thrash their tail. Um, for those of us as veterinarians, which all three of us are, that is uh, our early warning sign that we may be in trouble, that our, our cats had about enough with what we're doing. <laughs> uh, particularly mm -hmm. if the hair on that tail starts to puff up as well, that tells you that they're going into a state of fight or flight. They're feeling concerned. They're agitated and they may go into either a state of fight. So they may start to swat at us. They may start hissing and attempt to bite us or they may flee um, or they may just start to get real, real fidgety. There's lots of F's that they do when they're starting to feel worried. Um, but that tail is so expressive. It's also really expressive when they're feeling friendly or what we call affiliative, wanting to get closer to us. I know my cat does this every morning. She hops up while I'm brushing my teeth and that tail is up straight up looking right at me so that that tail up i think we talked about this last time is unique to domestic cats and that's an affiliative gesture you. yeah well, they rub up against you in a way that a dog won't right right so they deposit cheek pheromones on us when they're feeling comfortable and safe and that's not something that dogs do so again it can be very expressive with their face and their tail um, even if it's different than a dog it still has i think a huge repertoire of communication now uh, as veterinary veterinary behaviorists, are you really treating the the owner as much as the cat, Carlos? Uh, yes, I would say yes. <laughs> this is uh, actually right now. I'm 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 teaching my behavior course uh, to the students, and uh, uh, one of the point is this: right, we have to understand uh, uh, the behavior of the pet, the cat or the dog. Uh, but we also have to understand uh, the behavior of humans and uh, the relationships between uh, uh, humans and pets. Uh, there, not only there are different perceptions, but also sometimes there are miscommunications. So uh, you really need to understand where the 
uh, gap is, right? And you have sort of to fill that gap and, and make sure that uh, cats and owners, they understand uh, each other well. As we were saying before, it's, uh, it's a matter of expectations. And I have to say that uh, we already have studies about dogs uh, um, that shows that, that dogs make a lot of efforts to understand humans. Mm-hmm. Actually, they have developed uh, some behaviors that are unique, uniquely uh, um, showed in front of humans uh, or, or mainly showed in front of humans. And cats do something similar. So, for example, cats, they do mouth more uh, at people rather than other cats. Uh, so I think that the pets are doing a huge effort to understand humans, and we are quite complicated, as you all know. Uh, mm-hmm. And and we humans should make the same effort to understand cats, and and that's part of our job. So we we are really educating uh, uh, the owner to to establish a channel of communication uh, with their own cats. And I hope you'll forgive me because I said Carlos and your name is Carlo, but uh, I I was (laughs) now the pandemic has thrown us uh, together a lot more than we might have in the past. Uh, We're spending more time together Uh, are since do do cats need more time alone or are cats independent animals? I'm throwing this out to all of you. I, I think that's going to depend. I think that's going to depend on the cat. I see such a vast array of personalities and social needs. I think some of that's going to depend on their early social experience as kittens. Um, were they around a lot of people all the time, and that's how their sort of social repertoire was formed, or did they have more time on their own? I, I think what happened with the pandemic is that there was a change. Suddenly, our cats didn't have that time. I mean, cats. Your average cat can sleep up to 18 hours a day. And so suddenly if that sleep pattern is being disrupted, that can, that's a big change for them. I mean, I can speak personally. My own cat started trying to bolt outside with the dogs <laughs> after <laughs> I was stuck inside with my four- and six-year-old daughters all day every day. Um, and I thought, hmm, this is interesting. She's never done this before. She's trying to get away from us. Um, so I, I needed to do my job to make sure she had a safe, quiet area so that she wasn't trying to, to leave us. But I, I think the change, you know, is, is huge. But I think there's plenty of cats who live in homes whose families are, are home most of the time, and they've adjusted to that because that's how they were raised, and I think some of them cope well. But I, I think for any pet, whether it's a cat or a dog, allowing them to have kind of what I call their own little spa center where it has, their needs are met, but they don't have to be around anyone or anything if they don't want to, just so they, they have the options. Cats like to have choices. And then they can choose to be close to you or they can choose to be away from you. But trying to force them to do one or the other is where it gets difficult. And clearly with an abrupt change in that, that can be stressful for them. And they're very, they're very sensitive to change. I'm speaking really with the three authors of a book called Decoding Your Cat, put together, I guess, by the American College of Veterinarian, Veterinary Behaviorists. Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlo Siracusa. Uh, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Uh, I'm Leonard Lopit. The show is called Leonard Lopit at Large. And we are inviting you to join this conversation. And if you want uh, to speak to these experts about your cat, our number 21, your cat 212 Seven. Now, many cat owners have had the experience of sitting comfortably and petting their cats when suddenly the cat turns and and bites them. Uh, why would it do that? Don't forget, they they first of all, cats tend to be relatively quiet. They don't meow to each other. If you talk to your cat, they they will talk back to you. But they have a limited repertoire when it's enough. I think we've all been in that situation where someone gives us a great big bear hug. For us, maybe after two seconds, that's plenty, and they are still giving you this big hug, and we're too polite to kick them and hit them. And and cats, if they don't like it, have this limited way of that this limited obvious way of telling us. But they do tell us that usually their tail tucks to slick, their ears go back, and they've just had enough. And when we look at it more in humans' terms. We feel the same way. Maybe someone that you're very fond of, if they were to 
you know, smooth down your hair as a gesture of <clears throat> of being nice, you might like it. But if they were to go and muck up your hair every you call me, <clears throat> you might want to smack them. And so we're we're just looking at them differently without looking at their point of view. And again, that's where the book is so helpful. Instead of them being mean and spiteful, they they have limited repertoire to tell us to stop and it behooves us to learn oh you've had enough now and and you and you and call stop. it petting induced aggression in your book uh, so um does it also matter where on its body you have touched the cat if you're petting it for some cats most cats that roll yeah. over and show you their stomach are not saying pet my belly <laughs> yes and i think there are hundreds of cat owners right now listening raising their hand going yep i learned that <laughs> um, it's, it's just saying ah, i'm relaxed and happy to see you but don't reach down and give me a little scritch that's not what i'm looking for some people keep a, a water spray bottle nearby and spray the cat when it exhibits aggressive behavior um, uh, should we use negative reinforcement when we're trying to eliminate a behavior? Well, first of all, that's punishment, and I will let someone else go on from there. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I can talk over this. And uh, well, the first thing I want to say, yes, yeah, spraying is not good. It should be avoided as a general rule. Um, so uh, it's always better to explain to a cat uh, what is possible or giving him an alternative rather than what is not possible. Uh, as, as Debbie was saying, and, and we have said uh, uh, multiple times already, uh, the way that we have to communicate with our cats are limited because we have to understand what they, what, uh, what they want to say. And um, uh, most of the time, if there is a problem, is that because uh, there was a miscommunication or uh, the cat does not have the environment which is appropriate for the species. So if a cat is doing something that is um, undesired, there is a reason. So the first step should be to understand what is the, the problem and, and see if it's actually a problem. It might just be normal cat behavior. Uh, and, and we should just modify the environment, giving the cat alternatives. If we punish the cat, we introduce even one more negative element in this communication that, as we were saying, for being two different species, it can be difficult at times. And actually, punishment can uh, trigger aggression. Mm. So can actually obtain an immediate result, which is stopping the behavior. And, uh, uh, and then on the long term, it might deteriorate the, the, the relationship that we have with our cat. And our cat might start to do things like biting or scratching us, mm. which is not good. Well, sometimes so, they jump so, at you as so well. It's all an, ex an right. escalation. So we want to avoid this escalation of problems, definitely. Yeah. We've invited, oh, go ahead, finish up, and then I, I'm going to bring some callers in. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, remember that punishment only tells you what not to do, not mm. what to do. And that's not very helpful because we know there are lots of ways to get it wrong, usually only one way to get it right. So if there's something that you want your cat to do, you should teach them that. If you want them to sit on something high that's not your kitchen counter, then you have to work towards that instead of always just spraying them with water when they get up there because all they learn is, I won't get on the counter when I see you. Do I hear your dogs objecting to some of the things you're saying? I hear dogs barking in the background. Let's. Oh, um... Sorry, I, I work at a dog shelter right now, so <laughs> I'm in the quietest room no, possible. They're saying, yes, yes, yes. You should understand cats better. <laughs> yes. Let's take some calls. BAI, you're on the air. Hello, Hello you. Great segue, because I was going to ask you. I heard about this uh, on the news about it had to do with. It was some businesswoman, whatever, and she's got so much time. She would normally always be out. Now she's got so much time at home, and so she says, you know, I've got time for a dog. And she went to a shelter and adopted a dog, loves the dog now, has time for it. Uh, but the, the, the report went into this interesting, I thought, that when you pet a dog, how it increases the human being, your oxytocin levels, your, your mm -hmm. happy, you know, brain transmitters, but, it, but they also said in the research 
that it also increases the oxytocin in the in the dog. Now, I don't know if, if similar studies have been done with cats. Well, as far as like when you've got a cat on your lap, how it, 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 it helps physiologically a human being. And, of course, cats are notoriously difficult to study. But is there anything similar to the, the physiological benefits of a petting and actually petting? That's a great question. I heard that interview yesterday, so I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Um, it was wonderful. And I, I was cheering for um, for that woman who said, oh, I never had time for a dog. And, and then she finally had time and, and just the joys of having a pet, you know, for people who've never considered it, whether it's a dog or a cat. And then finally take the plunge and, and learn how rewarding it can be. And so, yeah, so in that um, segment, they talked about the hormone oxytocin, which you've probably heard of before. It's the bonding, the social bonding or the love hormone. Um, and so when mothers look into their baby's eyes, they are filled with oxytocin and, and dopamine, which are sort of pleasure hormones that makes us feel warm and fuzzy and, and happy. And so that we, we are nice to each other. And so that same relationship exists between pets and people, those that are socially bonded. And it, it's what really drives the human-animal bond, if you think about it. And so I think it makes absolute sense that we would also see that occur in cats. They do produce the hormone oxytocin, just like dogs, just like humans. And if they are in a state of utter bliss, looking at their people and experiencing pleasure with petting, then I can darn well guarantee you there's oxytocin and, and dop dopamine as well, which they didn't talk about as much in that segment, just sort of reward um, hormones. And neurotransmitters. Also, so, so absolutely. Oh, purring. Uh, yeah. Um, the uh, what the uh, uh, oscillation? What are they called? That are the purring produces is very calming to people. So mm -hmm. that the frequency, the frequency at which purring occurs, calms the cat. And if you've ever been upset and held a purring cat, you can say, "Well, it calms me too," because it, it's it's sort of like the the frequency of blood flow. Mm -hmm. it, it calms you down. So I'm sure there's oxytocin involved, and my only guess is that either we haven't tried to find it on cats, and cats, or cats think, well, of course, why would you doubt that? Well, when a cat climbs into bed with you and and uh, snuggles up next to you, I suspect there's a there's a lot of oxytocin going flowing through that blood. Yeah. Can I add something which is actually pretty unique and wonderful about cats, and uh, it's related to what uh, Debbie was mentioning, purring. There, there are actually recent studies that found that the frequency at which cats purr, it's a frequency that has been associated in research with uh, healing, tissue healing. So one of the hypotheses is that uh, big uh, cats and some big lions, they uh, uh, evolved this purring because it was also advantageous to heal wounds. So that's that's really mm. powerful. And yesterday I learned that the Navajos were aware of this benefit of certain vibrations, and they correspond to the vibrations of uh, purring in cats, which have both a physical and mental healing power. So cats are really magic. <laughs> Let's thank you I so agree. much for your call. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, should, I should alert um, our listeners so to the fact that to... we're on. Go ahead. Okay. I was going I to just say, listen to... on your phone <laughs> because we're on a delay on the radio. And I'm on my phone. People. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. All right. Well, a couple of things. And, and one is that I was told um, a while back that dogs have owners and cats have staff. So when you refer to <laughs> cat owners, I, I, I got a little offended. <laughs> and secondly, um, I have, we have a cat at work, uh, a mouser, and he, um, He's alone during the night, but during the day, of course, there's all of us people. But he loves to sit on my lap, and he will, like, kind of spontaneously, I'm working, and then he'll be there leaping onto my lap. Um, is there anything I can do to calm him down a little? He's very enthusiastic. He's interrupting your work because of the attention he's seeking? 
Is that your question? There are people all over the place here. I mean, I'm not alone in this office. No, but he's interrupting your work because he yeah. seeks yeah. Because he you. wants to sit on my lap and I can't get close enough to my desk to work. <laughs> okay. So a couple of things I would suggest. It could be that he's looking for a comfortable place to rest, and maybe what he needs is, is a cat bed somewhere near your desk, and he happens to like we it. We have. So if you put the cat bed near your desk or maybe on your desk, he might – he might sleep on that. Um, he may he may like you. Um, sometimes cats are attracted by smells, so maybe he likes the way you wash your clothes or something like that. You could try using um, a sweater or or a, a t-shirt with your scent on it and put it in a bed, and maybe he would sleep in that. He likes you know what that sounds like. That might work. And yeah. he wants to be close to you, so try offering him other ways to do that. It doesn't require him to be on your lap, and, and maybe you'll meet the need he's trying to fill. Okay. And I, I might even try add that, but the other, a heated bed. The, the other thing I do, believe it or not, yeah, is I actually bed. put videos on for him to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a well, reason you get an iPad that you can put on the floor then, so he wouldn't be up in your face. <laughs> no, I, I do that. And he likes this octolab.net. He likes watching octopuses. great. <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered whether dogs and cats actually understand what they're seeing on the TV. Uh, thank you for your call. Now, the caller mentioned that she, her cat is a mouser. Um, is, uh, are all cats instinctual mousers? Um, all cats can learn how to hunt. They often, and so they have some element of predatory behavior. If they know what to do when they catch a mouse, that may or may not work for them if they've never been taught to actually do something with it. But I have two cats right now who are amazing fly catchers. I have one cat who <laughs> knocks them out of the air and stands on, puts a paw on them until I come get them. Nobody taught her how to catch flies. So yes, I think that uh, predatory behavior, chasing something that's moving very fast is innate in cats. And once they get it, uh, depending on whether they're hungry, whether they've learned predatory behavior from their mother, the queen, um, and what their experience is. But over time, even cats that have never been taught how to hunt will learn how to hunt. And well, they most, hunt whether they're hungry or not. Most people have no objection uh, to a cat going after a mouse or a rat. But uh, um, outdoor cats sometimes kill small birds. And I had one who used to bring them to me as presents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is, is there a, I didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> well, um, I don't know that their presence, they might just say, listen, I'm not hungry right now. Will you put that in the fridge for me for later? <laughs> I wish I had understood that. <laughs> not that I would have done it. <laughs> so, but can a cat be taught not to pounce on a bird? Is it possible to suppress that kind of innate instinct? Well, I think that's highly unlikely. I think it's highly <laughs> unlikely, yes. I really do. Um, and, but you can make it so it's difficult it, for them uh, to do it. Carly, yeah, you were saying... The problem is not only if it's possible, but if it should, right? It's a normal behavior for cats, so it's probably just better to avoid uh, to put the cat in that situation. Um, and uh, However, it's uh, uh, whether cats hunting uh, especially in uh, in general urban areas they do really add what is the impact on uh, on the bird population this is uh, debated it's it's really it definitely can have an impact in areas where there are endemic species where uh, if they catch a, a number of birds it can really have an influence on the population um, but in areas uh, open areas where there are several birds and they are not only found in that place. Cats can have a limited impact on, in general, the ecology of that bird. So, uh, yeah, the only option would be keep the cat inside. <laughs> mm -hmm. Don't let it out. Uh, we have to take a little break here. Uh, you're listening to Leonard Clopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Don't go away. <laughs> There's a cat in 
watching all the birds go passing by. He'd love to fly out the window, go where the wind goes, and so would I. Like that cat in the window who keeps wishing. Before I get back to my conversation with veterinary experts Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Siracusa, I'd like to make just take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a member of WBAI. We're asking all of our listeners to step up right now and go online to give to WBAI.org or to call 516-620-3602 to help keep this show coming to you throughout the week. Again, the number 516-620-3602 or go online to give to WBAI.org. And a really good way to support WBAI throughout the year and also to spread out your financial commitment so that it's only a small amount taken out of your credit card or your bank account each month is to become a sustaining member of the station, what we call a BAI buddy. And I am delighted to announce that anyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy in the name of Leonard Lopez at large right now will receive a free copy of the book we've been discussing, Decoding Your Cat, The Ultimate Experts Explain Common Cat Behaviors and Reveal How to Prevent or Change Unwanted Ones. But whatever level you're able to show your support for this show and the station that brings it to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m., it all helps. The important thing is that you take that step by giving us that call, 516-620-3602, or by going to give to WBAI.org on the web. And please help, we really hope that you'll help support independent, 100% listener funded radio and help us keep it alive on the New York radio dial. Don't forget to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopez at large. And from all of us to all of you, thanks for helping keep this show and this station going. And uh, now I return to my guests, veterinary doctors, Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Siracusa. Uh, Decoding Your Cat is their book, The Ultimate Experts Explain Common Cat Behaviors and Reveal How to Prevent or Change Unwanted Ones. It's from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And we are taking calls on the air at 212-209-2877. If you would like to join the conversation, again, 212-209-2877. we were talking about cats going outside. Uh, there are feral cats. Um, what's the definition of a feral cat? Are they just cats that have have been abandoned and uh, are fending for themselves? Um, I don't know that abandonment is necessarily a term. Most of them are are actually born outside of a human household. So mm-hmm. feral is simply a term we use for individual animals who are of a domesticated species. Um, So meaning like our house cat is a domesticated species, but there are individual cats that are living without human influence or not, 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 not owned by anyone. They're not part of a human family. And often they're, they're born in the outdoor environment and then sort of learning to commingle potentially with other cats. Otherwise, they're solitary, depending on if someone's feeding them or not, right? If there are community members feeding these cats regularly, then they will form groups. Um, and, and many people have uh, dually mm-hmm. food out for abandoned or feral cats that they see in their neighborhoods. But mm-hmm. is it advisable uh, to adopt those cats and, and take them in as pets? Uh, how difficult an adjustment is it for an outdoor cat to learn to live indoors? I think it can be difficult for a, a couple of reasons. Um, you know, so a kitten, a feral kitten, one that was born um, outside of a, a human household, I think if you get them young enough, so in my experience, and we talk about this a bit in the book, how a lot primary socialization for kittens occurs prior to seven to eight weeks, but there's still a lot of socialization you can do um, before 12 weeks of age. So I've taken in a number of feral kittens that I have found in parking lots, um, in backyards and windowsills that were absolutely terrified of humans, clearly were born outside um, and at 9, 10, 11 weeks of age. And by allowing them to slowly adjust and be around me and people, they became pets. And so I think for our, a kitten, bringing in a feral kitten, there's absolutely, I mean, you can have wonderful, loving pets uh, by doing that. If you're bringing in an outdoor cat, 
that is truly feral and is an adult, meaning they've been raised outside, they haven't been around people, I think it's going to be a challenge sure. because they don't have it in their memory of being a social group member with humans. And so it's very difficult for them. And while they may have food and, and shelter, from their perspective, that might actually not feel as safe as the outdoor environment. I think what you had mentioned uh, earlier about cats that are abandoned. Now, there certainly are outdoor cats that are not feral. They were once part of a human family. They just got dumped or abandoned somewhere or strayed away from home um, and didn't find their way back, although most cats are pretty good at finding their way home. So maybe their family moved away. Who knows? Um, Those cats, if they've been with the human family or just now outdoors, probably have a good chance of acclimating again to the indoor environment. You just have to remember everything that the outdoors offers, right? I mean, the great outdoors for a cat whose normal behaviors are to be predators, to chew, to climb, to scratch, like they have, the whole world is their, you know, playground. And if your house isn't offering those same options, it's going to be difficult for that cat. And you're going to see a lot of very normal but nuisance behaviors that are well-developed in those cats, making them sometimes a little more challenging to be pets. I want to get to some more calls that are coming in, but a follow-up to this. It's been my experience that dogs will uh, remember people they haven't seen in years. And now with the pandemic and people moving back into homes, the same thing happened with cats. Will they remember uh, the, uh, the friend or the, 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 the kid who went off to college? Oh, they do. They remember. Sure. Um, I think both dogs and cats, they have a wonderful sense of smell. And so they remember um, mm. the smell of that person and they know who's familiar and who's not. I'll give you a, a cat example that answers both feral cat and uh, remember. My son has a feral cat that they took in. And over time, uh, she's, she hides most of the day, but when everybody is out in the, at night sitting watching TV or doing something, she comes out and, and everyone can pet her. She normally wouldn't let me pet her. The more I've been over to her house, First, when I, she comes in and I'm in the room, she stops. And then I can tell that she realizes it's me because I've been there so much that she doesn't necessarily solicit petting from me, but she doesn't run away anymore. So she recognizes me probably by smell, and her past experiences taught her that nothing bad happens to her when I'm there, and she's okay with it. And mm-hmm. that's a, a kind of a specific example, but I do think that they do remember uh, they remember both good and bad. So if something traumatic happened to her from me while I was there, she'd never come up. So if you had given her a shot as a veterinarian. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. one of the reasons she avoided me was when she got spayed, she was so feral, they were they couldn't take her back to have her stitches out. And guess who got to do that? <laughs> what about declawing them? Uh, is declawing, A lot of people think that's a bad idea. I'll look at it this way, just because you can do something, should you? Should you really take away part of their fingers just because you can? Uh, well, you're trying to prevent them from scratching the furniture. You can teach them to scratch elsewhere. I think Carlo has a really good answer for this, I'm sure. Yes, I. Um, in general, it's not a good idea. Uh, then isolated cases might be considered but in general, it is not a good idea, and I will strongly discourage it. Uh, scratching is a normal behavior, as, as we we're saying. Uh, there might be cases in which it's excessive for some type of problem that, that, that is, uh, it presents together with the scratching, but itself, it's, uh, it's a normal behavior that is used uh, for many purposes. One is to uh, keep uh, the, the claws sharp, but also it's a mean of communication for cats. So uh, when cats scratch, they leave uh, different type of messages. A visual hmm. message, which is the scratch itself, which actually tends to be pretty straight uh, uh, vertical line, and uh, they leave uh, a smell, uh, which is uh, a pheromone, um, and they also leave another visual component, which is the body posture. So the, the, the way in which they extend their body. Uh, so it, 
it comes, uh, depending on when you ski or when you come in contact with a scratch, it will tell you something. So if you see a cat and the cat is doing it uh, in front of you, uh, you understand that there is a cat there, but also usually there is an emotional status, uh, state uh, associated. If you are not lucky enough to see the cat doing it, then you go there, and if it's fresh, uh, if, it, if it happened um, uh, not that long ago, you still can smell the pheromones, and the cat <laughs> can perceive the gradient of pheromones. That is how long uh, ago the cat was actually there. And if the pheromone is gone, there is still the visual. Scratch. So it's it's all a sequence of messages of social behavior that should not be altered. There are ways to prevent this, like giving alternatives, uh, 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 scratching post, uh, scratching post, mm -hmm. for example. They come in tons of different varieties. Some cats do like vertical, horizontal, uh, cardboard, scissor rope. But also it's important where you put the, 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 the scratching post. We have said that it's a social message. So the scratching post doesn't have to be in the left corner of the cold basement. There's no sense for the cat to go there and scratch. Because nobody is there, right? Uh, this is why they pick things like couches, because they are used, not only they are fluffy and comfy and very pleasant to scratch, but they are a meaningful place. It's usually where the family spends time. Mm -hmm. So your scratching post should be in these places, and there should be plenty of variety. Then there are other uh, uh, solutions uh, that might require probably veterinary intervention, uh, like, for example, putting little caps in the nails. But in general, if you create a good environment, if you give the cats uh, alternative, uh, they will learn to scratch. They will scratch uh, other objects. And, uh, and you can also protect the places where you, where you don't want them to scratch. For example, put some uh, sticky, like double-sided sticky paper, um, tape. Uh, so there are options. Uh, I, I would encourage everybody to explore these options and to not accept the clawing as the norm, like the package, right? Uh, uh, neutering or spaying and the clawing. <laughs> it's not the same thing. It should be discussed with the vets. Should we take some calls? Yeah. And BAI, I you're on the out. air. Hello. I, hi, I'm Donna. I'm, I'm very desperate. Okay. My cat uh, keeps me up every night. She wakes me up at least twice a night. I have to I eventually get up out of bed and play with her and feed her, but I'm not getting any decent sleep at all. Can you well, close here. can you close the door and lock her out of your no, bedroom? I live in a studio apartment. Uh, I have nowhere mm -hmm. to go. No How escape your cat. Doctors? What's How that? How old is your cat? How old is your cat? How old? Oh, she's mm -hmm. about uh I would say she's about two or three, maybe two and a half, three years old. Okay. Um, she may not have the right things to do during the daytime to make her tired enough. She may need different kinds of toys. Uh, she may need food dispensing toys, little things that when she knocks them around, the food comes out, so she has to work a little harder. She has one um, of those. Yes, she has one of those. Well, they, that's good. That's a really good start. Sometimes we need to have more than one. Some cats, especially young cats, have a lot of uh, curiosity about things. Um, before we were doing this interview, I was down in my kitchen, and I opened up my pantry and slid out a door. And before I could get it closed again, one of my cats, they're not quite two, had jumped inside a box of, that was like actually a box of bags of little bags of popcorn and if I hadn't known she was in there I would have closed it right up because she was looking for something to do she's just curious so sometimes we have to get yes, those sort of things too she gets into everything she opens every door she jumps into the refrigerator she jumps into closets she knows so how to open you doors need, you might need to make her work a little harder for what she, she sounds like a handful no doubt <laughs> she may need to yeah. work a little harder for the things that she needs Instead of having her food down 
all the time when she can eat when she wants, that you put down a feeder toy at set time every day. And maybe since the studio apartment, if she's doing it while you try to sleep, it might be a little noisy. Um, but you also might want to try um, the woman just that was on before said that her cat likes videos. So she might like to watch some videos and um, would find that something to play with. Sometimes catnip is a good thing or a bad thing. If you have a window, a window perch might be a, a real good thing for her to sit out there on that perch and look outside. And it's just going to be trial and error. I really feel bad for you because being sleep deprived is really unpleasant. But hopefully, it's, one it or is. two of those might help. Maybe you might Thank you for your call. Better. Good luck. Let's take one more call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. It, am I on the air? Is this Leonard Lopez? You are on the air. Okay, Leonard Lopez. Millions of people listening of to you at this very moment. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm calling because I, am, I have to travel. I'm going to be away for a month. And I have two cats. I have somebody coming to stay at my house. Um, and I, I, I don't know if there's anything I should do. Um, my, I'm very fond of my cats. Um, but I don't know if there's anything that I can do to to alleviate my cat's unhappiness at my being away, even though there will be somebody here. Um, and um, so I've just been terribly worried. Well, first, I think it's really lovely that you are concerned and making plans ahead of time for your kitty, because I think a lot of people just assume, oh, I've got someone in, they... They stop by my house for five minutes once a day, and that's going to be enough. And then they come home, and their cats pee on their bed and destroy, you know, half of their blinds <laughs> because they, their needs are, are greater than that. And it sounds like you actually have someone planning to stay, meaning spend the night and, and live at your home for a month, which I think is great. Um, I think what helps these cats, because it's still a change, and we've talked about how cats are very sensitive to change. And um, having someone that's not you is a, is a big change, even if they are there all the time. Is this person familiar to your cat no no so it's hard okay. during a I mean, pandemic I introduced to... them to her um but that was very brief yeah yeah i might encourage a few more greetings and again with social distancing um I, you know i'm not going to encourage you to have people in your household next to you but potentially while you're running an errand that person can stop in and sit on the couch and play with your cat's favorite toys or toss her favorite treats around just to have a little more familiarity in a positive manner um, because that familiarity is going to go over very well. The more opportunities your cat has to get to know that person, this is granted that that person can, can do this. Um, you might have to pay them to do that <laughs> for, their, for their time, but it would help your cat get acclimated to them. Yeah, unfortunately, There's, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. Um, but I, I, I have okay. a question. I I have a, a kind of a feeder for hard cat food that I leave out, mm -hmm. and I leave I, mostly I leave my cats their food. You know, I feed the, the cat, and one cat only likes hard food. One cat only likes soft food. Mm -hmm. So I I leave the soft food out and the hard food out for the cats, and they eat when they're hungry. Mm hmm. I don't know if this is a good practice, but I've been doing it for a long time. And, um, and then somebody told me that I should only feed my cats at regular hours. Um, I think that depends on I, your cat. Are your cats overweight? Not or does your vet tell you they're no. in a good body condition? They seem to be healthy. They're, yeah. yeah. So you're they doing okay. Healthy. Yeah, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's kind of my, my motto there. If that's what's working well for your cat, you're, again, we talked about giving cats options. You're giving them options. They are making the choice when to eat and what to eat. And as long as they're not overweight, then I, I wouldn't go changing that. We have, just like with humans, we have a bit of an obesity epidemic with our household cats because they're not getting enough movement and they're getting offered high-calorie food, you know, at will. And some cats are not good at uh, – at learning how to self-satiate, right? They, they just eat and eat and eat, just like, like people. Um, but for your cats individually, I think it's an individual choice. What meal feeding might work well for one cat who's having an obesity problem. And when I would say typically meal feeding is some sort of puzzle toy, so they're having to move. But if, if your cats are, are regulating themselves well, I don't know that you need to change it. It might be a good addition to 
and mentally stimulating for them um, to put some of that cat's dry kibble or even treats in one of those food dispensing toys that they have to actively engage and move. But I wouldn't go rapidly changing what you're doing if it's working well for their health, especially not right well, before you leave your cats for a month. <laughs> okay. Thank you for calling. We're pretty much out oh, of time, but I was wondering whether, uh, since you mentioned toys, whether things like fishing pole toys, string toys, target sticks are a good way to get a cat to acclimate to you. Uh, yes, I can I can comment on this. Like definitely, uh, toys should be part of the environment of each cat, and. Uh, uh, related also to what we're saying before when we were talking about predatory behavior, that all cats, they have uh, the predatory sequence, even if then they are not able to kill, it's sort of, uh, it's installed in their soul, yeah. right? So uh, they come this way. So they should have a possibility to uh, display the predatory sequence, even if it, if it doesn't come with killing an animal in the end. So uh, we have to leave it there, unfortunately. I, I, I'm so sorry. You, it's no, not enough time, but we, you were wonderful. I, I, maybe we can have you back again, if you don't mind. Uh, my guests have been veterinary doctors, Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Siracusa. Uh, their book, Decoding Your Cat, the ultimate experts explain common cat behaviors and reveal how to prevent or change unwanted ones. It's published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much. It was Thank a pleasure you. having us. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to segment producer Fran Higgins, who prepared today's interview. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more about one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find links to all of our past shows on our website, blendedlocatedlarge.com. If you'd like to comment on a show or would like to just say hello, my email address is Leonard Lopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off, I'd like to ask you one last time to step up and support Leonard Lopate at large and the historic public radio station that brings it to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. because WBAI relies solely on listener donations. If you value the kind of informative, in-depth interviews we bring you on the show, please go online right now to give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 to help keep us coming to you with all the exciting guests, guests that we have lined up for you in the coming weeks. Perhaps the best way to, to support WBAI without having to shell out a lot of money at any one time is to become a BAI buddy. Uh, they're listeners who contribute $10 or more each month to keep the station running and to show their support for what we do on the show. And as I mentioned before, anyone who becomes a BAI buddy in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large during today's show will receive a free copy of the book we've been discussing, Decoding Your Cat, The Ultimate Experts Explain Common Cat Behaviors and Reveal How to Prevent or Change Unwanted Ones. Uh, and uh, please make sure that you um, make that tax-deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. One last time, the number is 516-620-3602 or go to give2wbai.org. We're off tomorrow, but we hope you can join us on Monday when professor of writing at Columbia University's nonfiction MFA program, Philip Lopate, will discuss his latest anthology, The Glorious American Essay, 100 Essays from Colonial Times to the Present. We'll see you then.